here's the story. Uh, James chapter 5 tells us that Elijah prayed that it might not rain on the earth. And it didn't rain for three and a half years. And then the Bible, of course, says that he prayed again and the earth gave forth its rain. But Elijah prayed that it would not rain on the land of Israel and it didn't. And so this great drought came upon the land and uh, uh, <clears throat> a uh, trial came upon Elijah. God answered his prayer and course he was in the land he had this trial and that was food he needed to eat something and so God provided for Elijah he said Elijah this is what I want you to do do I want you to go down to the brook Cherith there and uh, the the ravens there are going to feed you bread and flesh in the morning bread and flesh in the evening and there's a little creek there you can drink water out of the creek it's safe to drink and so off he did and so this uh, trial came into the life of uh, Elijah and, and God provided in a miraculous way after the miraculous answer to his prayer but the creek dried up and uh, another crisis or another trial presented itself look here at verse 8 the word of the Lord came unto him saying arise get thee to Zarephath which belongeth to Zidon and dwell there behold I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee now, don't turn there. I'll just read a verse to you from Luke chapter 4 because the Lord Jesus referred to this uh, account uh, in Luke 4. And he said, Unto none of them was Elijah sent. Verse 25, sorry. But I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias or Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months when great famine was throughout the land. And unto none of them was Elijah sent save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. So God, God sent him to a place called uh, Sarepta or Zarephath in the Old Testament uh, to a woman that wasn't a Jew. And so he arose and he went to Zarephath and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. Easy enough, I'd like a bit of water, please. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and he said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. So here's Elijah. He goes, he obeys the word of the Lord. He went to Zarephath. There was a, uh, a lady there. God obviously said, yeah, that's the lady. And he said, look, can I have a glass of water? Well, not a glass of water. Can I have a little something of water, a pitcher of water? And uh, yeah, that's fine. We've got a little bit there. And he said, listen, while you're at it, while you're at it, can I have a little cake? I need something to eat. I'm hungry. And this is what she said. Verse 12, she said, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. See, things were dire for this widow lady. And uh, it's interesting that um, at this point, sometime previous to this, God had spoken to this lady. Verse 9 again. Um, he said, listen, go down to Zarephath. I've commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Now, we don't know where this took place or how this took place. God just told, or the Bible says, commanded the widow woman and said, listen, someone's coming. You have to look after them. You have to look after them. Obviously, this lady, she, she had no idea how she was going to obey this command. 
because she didn't even have enough for her and her son to live on. You see, if you were a widow in those days, there was no widow's pension. Like a lot of the world, even today, there's no widow's pension. Uh, when the breadwinner, the man of the family, when he died, widows were in usually terrible trouble. That's why in the New Testament, there's quite a bit written about uh, looking after widows, especially those that are widows indeed. I think pastor has preached, uh, taught on that in past years, about those who are widows indeed. But that's for another time. But this lady was a bit taken aback now and realised that God had already commanded her and said, listen, I want you to look after this man I'm going to send. And when God sends the man, God sent the man along, he said, listen, um, just, just make me, give me something to eat, please. And the lady said, listen, don't you understand? I've got a tiny little bit of flour here. I've got a little bit of olive oil in a cruiser or a little container. And I've got two sticks. I'm going to make a fire, bake a cake. My son and I are going to eat that, and that's the last of the food. We're going to die. Now, I think God has a sense of humour. <clears throat> well, at least Elijah did. Look at verse 13. Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said. Okay, go and make your cake and, and go and die. That's fine. But listen, before you go and eat and die, make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee, and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. Now this lady had a decision. Am I going to take this last bit of flour and my last little bit of precious bit of olive oil and give it to this fella? Or am I going to keep it for me and my son? Thankfully in the case of the lady, she says, well, I've really got nothing to lose here. So I'm going to do what he said. Verse 15, she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days, and the barrel of meal wasted not. Neither did the cruise of oil fail according to the word of the Lord which he spake by Elijah. I'm sure many of you are familiar with this story. Let me make some observations here, and then we'll go to our application, and then we'll be finished this morning. Here's observation number one. God always makes provision for a crisis God always makes provision for a crisis he'd already gone to this lady and said listen I'm commanding you to look after the man of God when he comes when this took place we don't know where it took place we don't know but God said Elijah I've already commanded this lady to look after you God always makes provisions now I don't know how God did it but God also always uh, obviously went to those ravens and said, listen, fellas, there's this, uh, this, this wild man with his, uh, you know, with his goat skin, camel skins, and he's going to be living down by the creek, but I want you to go and feed him. You say, that's a miracle. That's exactly what it was. But God prepared the ravens. Um, you say, would you eat food from a raven? If you're hungry enough, you'll eat anything. But I imagine because God did it, it was pretty good. Where did the ravens get the food from? I've got no idea. No idea. Maybe they went to the king's palace and pinched it out of the kitchen. I don't know. But they did. God always makes provision. When it came to the, uh, the woman and a flower, uh, she had a bit of flour. There was provision. When it came to Jonah, God uh, was trying to teach Jonah some things uh, and, and one reason he sent the whale was because he was going to drown without the whale. And so God, the Bible says God prepared the whale. 
he did a lot of preparation for Jonah. He prepared the, you know, the plant thing, the gourd that came up. God prepared a donkey for Balaam and on and on again. God, when there's a crisis, when God's trying to get through to us, God makes the provisions usually well in advance. Secondly, Elijah asked for a little cake and some water. Maybe, what's that, one meal out of two or three? He just asked for half a day's or a day's provision. Someone said, why, why, didn't, why didn't God just give this lady a whole silo full of wheat, like 100, 100 tonne of wheat and barrels of oil, because most probably someone would have knocked her on the head and stolen it. But Elijah asked for just a little bit, just for the day. And Jesus said to us to ask for daily bread, not weekly bread. Then thirdly, God wants, wants to use what we already have, not what we wish we had. If only I had a million dollars, I could give some of that away. Have you ever thought of that? You know, now, we often think, well, you know, I think the rich people out there, they should use their means for the Lord's work. And they should too. If you're, God's given you the gift of making money, uh, you should use your means for the Lord's work. But um, no, God speaks to all of us. God speaks to all of us. The little lad that had the five loaves and the two fishes, that's all he had, just a little kid's lunch. You know, and, uh, and Jesus wants to use what we already have. Number four, God wants the first part. The first part. Now, as Elijah said, he said, listen, the first thing I want you to do, you go and do what you're going to do, but the very first thing I want you to do, you make me a cake first. So you see, there's, there's a lot of principles in the Bible about God wanting the first fruits, the first part. And then God, uh, Elijah didn't ask for a fatted calf, he just asked for a cake. He didn't ask for the fatted calf, he wasn't extravagant. We see a lot of ministries today that are extravagant. And uh, I don't think we need, especially when it comes to ministry, I don't think we need extravagance in ministry. Uh, as a good example of that, our pastor drives a, is it a Kia? <laughs> he drives a Kia. <laughs> That's not extravagant, you know. And uh, Pastor Crockett, I think he, what does he drive? A Kia. <laughs> I mean, that's just a morsel, isn't it, you know. <laughs> That's not a fatted calf. That's just a morsel of flour driving a Kia. You know, you'd, you'd think someone of Pastor Mitchell's standing would have at least a BMW or a, uh, you know, or a, I was going to say a Holden, but they're gone, aren't they? <laughs> at least a Toyota or something. But he drives a Kia. I mean, these fellas are just not, not extravagant. In fact, if you were to give him a BMW, he wouldn't even take a BMW. But... <clears throat> I've seen that in my travels. There's people asking for the fatted calf, not for the little cake. See, God promises to supply our needs, not our wants. Now, I would say 99 times out of 100, God supplies way more than our needs. Because he loves us and he loves spoiling us. But his promise, he says, I'll supply your needs. According to his riches in glory. And then, oftentimes, God gives an unexpected source of supply. An unexpected source of supply. Now, of all people in, in that place, during the famine, why would you go to a widow lady? And a, a lady, a widow that was 
destitute, about to die of starvation. Why would you go? <clears throat> oftentimes, oftentimes God gives us an unexpected source of supply. And then, and this is an obvious point, all miracles are amazing. All miracles are amazing. I don't know if we can really categorise miracles as little miracles and big miracles, because all miracles are amazing. You know, crossing the Red Sea, uh, that was spectacular. That, was, that would have been really scary, I reckon. But that was a spectacular miracle. Having the ravens come in, that's not, maybe not quite so spectacular. And then having a little, a little container of just a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil here, that's definitely not spectacular. But it was still amazing. Well, let's get to the, the, the main point of the story here. And we just go on and on. There's a lot to, be, lot to learn from these uh, wonderful passages in the Old Testament. Here at the first trial was Elijah's. He needed to eat and drink. And then he needed to eat and drink again. But his, his trial then became the widow's trial. And she, at one stage, she'd heard from God, but she doubted God. She doubted the man of God. She said, well, listen, I can't do that. I, I, I'm, I'm going to take this. Uh, uh, you're taking away the last little bit of food here I've got. Uh, this is not going to work. Why there was doubt there. But thankfully, she obeyed. And the miracle came. She experienced the incredible miracle of the oil and the flour. Now come down here to verse number 17 because this so often happens. When we believe God and we believe God through obedience and our faith grows, but then so often, and this is how God works, God sends another trial along to, what's the word? Stretch our faith. To stretch our faith. So this woman was facing a, a, a terrible crisis, but that really wasn't much compared to what was to come. Let's read the last bit of the chapter here. It came to pass after these things, after this wonderful miracle of the oil and the, and the meal not wasting, came to pass after these things, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom, carried him up into a loft, where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the woman with whom I sojourn by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of, the Lord, of Elijah and the soul of the child came into him again and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. You think that first trial was tough. Things were starting to get really hard for the woman. Her son died. Her son died. And... Uh, she confronted Elijah, said, what have I to do with you? You've come to call my sins to remembrance and to kill my son. But as we read here, another incredible miracle took place. And finally, the woman said, 
I now know you're a man of God and that the word of the Lord, Jehovah, is in thy mouth in truth. You know, we look at this woman and think, well, you know, she, uh, she did well and then she didn't believe and then she did well and then she doubted. And, but really, we're no different. I don't think we're any different. You see, the journey of faith is just that. It's a journey. Now, we start this thing called the Christian life by faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved through what? Through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we are saved by faith, saving faith, putting our trust in what the Lord Jesus Christ has done on the cross. His finished work, his death, his burial, his resurrection. That is how we are saved, by faith. But then the Christian life continues by faith. There is saving faith and then there is a living faith. Oftentimes we need to see God's working many times to, to kickstart our faith along. Are you like that? You know, I think it's a journey for all of us. <clears throat> None of us can say, well, I'm a man of faith, I'm a woman of faith, I've arrived. No, no, no. The man came to Jesus. What did he say? Those famous words. He said, Lord, I believe. And then what did he say? Now, Lord, you're going to have to help my unbelief. <laughs> Lord, I believe. But I'll tell you what, Lord, there's some unbelief there. You're going to have to help me out there. And I think we could all say amen to that. Here's Peter. We won't turn there, Matthew 14. Here's Peter walking on the water. Hey, that's pretty good. As far as the, the miracle, you know, the miracle scale goes, that's up there, walking on water. That's pretty good. And he wasn't a fake magician. He was really walking on water. And we know that the waves, it was, it was rough. The waves were boisterous, as the Bible says. And he was walking on water, most probably having the time of his life. And then he started to doubt, took his eyes off the Lord, we know the story. Started to sink, said, Lord, save me, and the Lord saved him. You know, that's for Peter, that's, that's for Peter. And, and like the other disciples, they, they were with Jesus for several years and they saw all these miracles. I mean, only some of them are recorded in the, in the Gospels, but... Most probably a lot of what he did, obviously a lot of the miracles he did are not recorded for whatever reason. And they saw all this stuff, the feeding of the 5,000 and the, and the calming of the, of the storm and the, and, and the healing of the, the, the blind men and the, and, and the lame and the lepers and, 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 and all this sort of thing. They saw all this and yet they still didn't believe. They still didn't believe. Here's Thomas. I mean, Thomas, how many miracles do you need to see? How many do you need to see? And then I think of myself, I think, well, so many times in my life I, I, I doubt the hand of God. Now, I don't know how many sermons you preach, Pastor. Um, <clears throat> we've both been in ministry for many, many years. And... <clears throat> It's thousands and thousands and thousands of, of sermons and, and messages and Bible studies we've preached. And, and I know, and I've seen God do some amazing things through the preaching of the word. And yet I'll come to a sermon and I'll, I'll have an outline and I'll prepare as best I can and I'll pray. And, and yet I think, oh, this, I don't know. I don't think this is any good. I'll doubt that God can do anything. I'm thinking, what? And, I, and then sometimes I step back and think, 
What are you thinking? You've seen God bless. He blesses his word. And you're still doubting? We do. We do. So before we get stuck into Peter and Thomas and the other disciples, I think we all fit in there. Time and again, in the Bible, God calls us just to believe his promises. He says, have faith in God. And then he says, a year of little faith. And then he says, the just shall live by faith. And he says that faith is the victory. And then he says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. So why, why do we so often get to this place of doubt? We've seen the miracles of God in our lives. They may not be huge miracles, but hey, salvation itself is a miracle. Being made a new creature is a miracle. When you look at someone whose life was just <clears throat> taken up by sin and God takes that person and, and, and they are born again and made into a new creature and, and all things have become new, hey, that's a miracle. That's a miracle. The journey of faith. Let's have some applications this morning and then I'll close. Here's the first one. And there's just three little applications. Number one, there are different levels of faith. If you're a Christian this morning, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour, there are different levels of faith. You know Jesus was looking at a, uh, talking about a man in the, in, the, in the Gospels. We won't turn to the passage, and he, but he said... I've not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. Normally it was the Gentiles that had the faith. So there are levels of faith. It's a journey. Secondly, a little bit of faith is enough to start with. A little bit of faith. A bit of mustard seed faith is enough to start with. A little bit of flour and olive oil. That's, a, that's enough to start, start with. You don't have to have a corporation behind you. You don't have to have anyone behind you. Just what you have in God is enough. Maybe someone here needs to, uh, is down to their last little bit of flour and oil, figuratively speaking. Or maybe you just need to give that to the Lord. I don't know if this illustration fits, but I'll tell it anyway. Back in 2002, that's almost 17 years ago now, we got back from, from the States. We had a, a nine months, almost nine months in, uh, in, in Los Angeles and, and, uh, and we learnt a lot of things during that time. And, and, uh, but, but God sort of, uh, in, a, in a wonderful sense, sort of pulled the rug out from under us and, and we, we had a really nice house up in, in, uh, in Queensland, in Brisbane, and we lost our house. I had a, an almost brand new Mitsubishi Pajero. We lost that and we lost just about everything. And, and I'm not bewailing the fact and I'm not complaining. God decided to take it away. That's, that's fine. But I remember after we did our finances, paid off some bills, we were renting a little place up here in, uh, in, uh, in, in Wagulga. And after everything was paid off, we didn't owe anything, anyone any money. We didn't have any, virtually no income. Uh, we had $2,000 left in the, in, the, in the bank. I remember it distinctly. And I said to Robin, what can you do with $2,000? I said, let's just, let's just plant it. <laughs> so we just gave it to a missionary. 
I said, let's, let's see what God can do. We've got nothing to lose. It's basically just a bit of flour and a bit of oil. I'd like to hang on to it. You know, I'd just like to grip and say, well, that's, this has got to last us for the next however long, but nah, it's not going to last very long in this day and age. So let's just invest it. And we did. And, you know, I, I truly believe we, we are seeing dividends from that investment even today. God has looked after us in miraculous ways. I couldn't even hope to have the time to tell you all the ways, the miracles that God has done in our lives over the last 17 years. But a little bit is enough to start with. Now I know $2,000, that's a fair bit of money. But for some people it might be, might not be money, might be something else. And maybe you're hanging on to that, that little bit of flour and that little bit of oil, and God says, no, that's what I want you to invest that. I want you to invest that. I, I, need, I need that. Just, just give it to me. You know what it is? You know what faith is? And I was speaking to Robin about this this morning, just talking some things in the car on the way in. And... Uh, you know, faith is all about control. Control. We have that term today, control freaks. <laughs> control freaks. So many of us like to be control freaks. We like to be in control of everything. Are you a control freak? A lot of us are. We like to be in control of things. You know what faith is doing? <clears throat> faith is saying, Lord, you're the one that's in control. I think Peter was a bit of a control freak. He liked to control things. And whenever he had his eyes on the Lord, he was, he was walking on the water. Uh, <clears throat> the widow woman obviously thought for a moment, no, I need to control these resources. And uh, Elijah said, no, 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 you, you, just, you just give that to me. You lose control of that and see what God will do. In, in a real sense, faith is saying, Lord, all right, Lord, you're in control now. You're in control. You're in control of my life. You're in control of my resources. You're in control of my gifts and, and my abilities and my talents. You're in control, Lord. Not me. Faith is letting God have control. Last point is this. Lord, increase our faith. Lord, increase our faith. The people came to Jesus and said, don't turn there, Luke 17. They said, Lord, increase our faith. Now, it's a little bit of a scary thing because when God increases our faith, as we said before, God introduces trials, bigger trials, to stretch our faith. That's the Christian life. Christian life is not always easy. But we get to the certain point in this journey of faith as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and our faith has increased and God puts a trial in, something that will stretch that faith a bit more. And then we have the problem again that we want to control our lives and God says, no, 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 that, you, you can't, there's nothing you can do about that. You want to hang on to that thing in your life, but no, just let it go anyway. I know what I'm doing. You know, we, ne we need to keep supporting missionaries we need to have our faith stretched because there's a lost world out there the population of the world is, is just expanding and expanding 
and billions are out there without Christ. And, and as a church, we need to be, be increasing our faith. We need to be stretching our faith to reach the lost. We must never settle on our, on our what's the word, settle on our laurels and say, look what we've done in past years. That's, that's all gone. We need to stretch our faith. We need men and women in the ministry, especially young men, to go into the pastorate. You know, Pastor Mitchell isn't getting any younger. <laughs> he doesn't look a day over 40. Right, okay. Yeah. And his wife looks like one of his daughters. But anyway. <laughs> and, and we have a Pastor Crockett here. Homegrown, home trained. But he's not getting any younger. And he's not an old geezer. But very quickly he will become an old geezer. <laughs> so we need someone, we need someone to take Pastor Crockett's place. And we could say that for church after church after church and, and, and then places around the Australia that don't even have Bible-believing churches. Now we know from some Romans chapter 10 that uh, God is still calling people to the ministry. We know that. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We know, we know that. And I've said this many, many times that there's, there's a kink in the hose somewhere because God is calling young men to the ministry, yet they're not making it to, to the ministry. What is the problem there? Well, it's a lack of faith. It's a lack of faith. Why the lack of faith? Well, there's a number of reasons. There's the pull of the world. Young people come out of university and they go and they're earning 50,000, 60,000 in their first year. They've got plenty of money. And when you've got that money coming in, I'm not saying that's bad, I'm saying it's good, but it's, there's the pull of the world to think, well, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll maybe become a missionary or become a pastor or whatever it might be, but give me 15, 20 years down the track. Then there's the cares of the world. Then there's the fear of the unknown. Fear of the unknown. And that comes back to control. If I can't control my, my life and, and what I have, if I can't control that, there's a fear that I'm going to lose everything. And, but it's far better to let God control things anyway. And then there's disobedience to the call. You know, I, I was saying to someone just a couple of weeks ago, and at the churches I preach at and conferences and camps and so on, um, I'm getting a bit tired of young people particularly surrendering to the Lord. I'm getting a bit tired of that. Because it's easy to surrender to the Lord. But you see, obedience follows surrender. Obedience follows surrender. There has to be obedience. There has to be obedience. This lady, this widow lady, the Lord said, the Lord commanded her and said, Listen, <clears throat> I don't know what he said, but he said, Listen, this 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 fellow's coming, you need to look after him. And she didn't quite, <laughs> there was a bit of unbelief there. There was a bit of doubt, but she obeyed. Okay, here's the little bit of cake, as you said. The Apostle Paul was giving his testimony in Acts 26, and he said, I think he was speaking to Agrippa, he said, I was not disobedient to the heavenly call. I was not disobedient to the call. So... 
I'd encourage especially young people, all of us, but young people especially, you surrender to the Lord's will for your life. That's a wonderful thing. But once you surrender, then comes obedience. Obedience, saying, Lord, I'm taking my hands off the steering wheel here. Whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it. Well, <clears throat> we just need to believe God. Without faith, we can't believe God. Uh, we can't please God. The only way we can please him is by faith. And we all need to have our faith stretched. And God stretches us through trial. That's how he does it. So why, why can't it be easier? You'd have to ask the Lord that one. But that's the way he does it. As individuals, those of us who know Christ, we need to have our faith stretched. And maybe there's just one person here this morning. Maybe it's a young lady. Maybe it's a young man or maybe it's an older person. And in recent months or recent years, God is, is, is leading you some way. But you stopped at that obedience point. Hey, you need to take your hands off the, off the wheel and say, Lord, you, you control here. You control here. And maybe someone this morning hasn't even got to that stage. Maybe you're not even a Christian. Well, you can come to Christ as a sinner by faith. By faith. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the wonderful story of uh, the widow lady from First Kings. Lord, please, I pray if there's someone here this morning that does not know Christ as Saviour, may they seek him this morning while there is time, while there is the opportunity to be saved and to call on him in faith. And Lord, if there's a Christian here, Lord, and they are, uh, I'm not quite sure what the word is, Lord, holding out or, or, or just trying to be in control of their own lives, trying to hang on to the flower and onto the, 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 uh, the oil. And Lord, you're telling them, no, just let it go. I've got, heap, I've got something far better for you. Maybe there's a young man here, Lord, or a young lady that has surrendered, but they're not obeying. May they just take their hands off the steering wheel this morning and say, here you are, Lord. You, <clears throat> you drive my life. You take control of my life. Thank you, Lord, for our time in the Word. Bless the song that is to follow in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take our... Uh, Hymn book, please.